You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages David Burnham presented on The Will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Now, here is David Burnham on Today in the Word Radio. To know the greatness of God. To know the greatness of God in such a way that our lives can have purpose and meaning and fulfillment. Paul Simon, of Simon and Garfunkel, writes these words. A winter's day in a deep and dark December, I am alone, gazing from my window to the street below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I have four walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none can penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship only causes pain. It's laughter and loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never had loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books, my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room. Safe within my womb, I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Writing of the times in which we live, Of the isolation of modern men, I am a rock, I am an island. Jim Elliot prayed, O God, make me dangerous. I'm not a rock, but I'm founded upon a rock. I'm not an island, but I'm commissioned to go into all the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. One day a young man left his home. As a teenager, he was being taken as a captive to the ancient capital of the world, to Babylon. Daniel, by the counsel of God, had been delivered into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 1. Yesterday, I gave you insight into God's will. We said that the will of God was personal, that the will of God would emphasize the present tense, that which happened in the past, we can recognize as the will of God. We know that our destiny in Jesus Christ is secure, that we are accepted in the beloved. We know that God would have us as we develop that purpose in life have goals in our life, the aim of our life. There are to be priorities established. God, mate, family, our job. 
God would also give to us responsibility to make strategic use of our time and to put it into action. But the emphasis of the will of God is something that we can know and experience and find acceptable, good, and pleasing right now. We wanted to distinguish between principle, to know its general characteristics, and then that precept that would be specific, as opposed to a particular that is related to my witness opportunity for the times, the culture in which I find myself. I am to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. In my particular culture and time in which I live, I am to be finding myself living by the principle that I am to please God. I am to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. I am to please Him to do that which is good and acceptable and mature. I am also to be able to prove the will of God. I am to be able to know that the will of God is provable. It is able to be demonstrated in my life. That is summarized by a word such as purpose. I am to have an aim in my life. There is to be a purpose in my life. We are here for a purpose. God created us for a purpose. God has given each of us purpose in life. Within that purpose of those lifetime patterns, those lifetime decisions, there are five areas that we'll be looking at. The lifetime potential, the fulfilling marriage, the meaningful family life, the purposeful vocation, and effective Christian service. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, including also 18 through 21, we see that we are to wake up, that we are to walk as children of the light. We are to walk circumspectly. We are to have direction and purpose in our life. Knowing the will of God, it gives something to the meaning of our entire life so that life has an adventure, life has a joy, life has a fulfillment, even in the song that comes from the very spring of the character of what God has placed within us. We then are to develop a fulfilling marriage. God has designed man for companionship. He must uniquely equip him and prepare him and use him in the single estate. But God equipped man and woman for a relationship together. He uses the single estate, and to his glory, he uses that estate for the purpose of a lifetime potential, knowing that we have physical and psychological uniqueness in the creation of God, that we have intellectual capacity and emotional fulfillment, that God has designed us in a social unit, that we can know Him, that we can know each other, that we're not fellow, that we're not strangers, but we're fellow citizens, a household unit that is built up in the Lord Jesus Christ and related even to our society. The Apostle Paul said to that great ancient learning center, in him we live and we move and we have our existential being. We have our meaning and it finds its reference in God himself. From that area of lifetime potential, we will look at the fulfilling marriage that is seen in the verses of 22 through 33 of the fifth chapter, and then the family life, verses 1 through 4, and then the, the 
purposeful vocation, verses 5 through 9. And then beginning with verse 10 through 19, or the end of the chapter, we see that God wants to make our lives effective as a Christian ambassador and a Christian soldier. Now, we won't go through just the study of the book of Ephesians, but within that area, I had wanted you to see some of that lifetime potential that we were talking about. That brings us then to the life of Daniel. That life of potential, Daniel chapter 1. In the life of Daniel, there is much that illustrates the will of God. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The counsel, the will of God includes nations, kings, and captives. Jehoiakim given to the hand of a godless, polytheist, world dictator, an absolute monarch, Nebuchadnezzar. We discover that as he took that tribute, which means he took taxes from them, he had a payoff given by Jehoiakim. Because of his conquering ability, that tribute is taken not only in the form of vessels from the temple, but also captives. And we read that the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans." The Chaldeans had become that tribal name that had referred to not only magicians and those that would study the plans of the future, but now would represent the so-called wisdom and direction of a nation. Daniel is taken captivity by the will of God. Does captivity include the will of God? Yes, it does. Was Daniel out of the will of God because he had left Jerusalem? He was not out of the will of God. I'm sure he may have wondered about the will of God. As a young man to be taken from your home, led on that forced march to the area of Babylon, through the gate of Ishtar, into that city that was dedicated to polytheism a city that was dedicated to polytheism. I mentioned on the very procession way in which he walked, the sidewalk had bricks in it that were beveled, and on the bevel, Nebuchadnezzar would dedicate the sidewalks to Marduk. Marduk, which is later translated among the Greeks and the Romans, you come up with the name Jupiter. The concept of God as a protector of a nation that believed in many gods. Daniel is brought into that city with its tremendous walls, with its decoration of the bulls and the dragons upon it, its procession way, and its many temples. Daniel will walk right by a temple that was dedicated to Marduk. The house of the uplifted head and the patron god was Marduk. He would see the huge ziggurat 
that had been built. And on the top of that ziggurat, and some estimate it goes 300 feet into the sky, on that ziggurat was another dedication to the god Marduk. In the concepts of the Babylonians, they had a great fear of the many gods. 53 temples to the great gods. 55 shrines dedicated to Marduk. 300 shrines dedicated to earth deities. 600 shrines dedicated to heavenly bodies and deities. 180 altars to the goddess Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of reproduction and love. 180 altars to the gods Nigal and Adad. The city was filled with polytheism. The wisdom and the learning of the Babylonians was the wisdom of man's mind. In their concept of literature, their thought of how the earth came into being, it came out of a chaotic primordial existence with gods that were wrestling with each other and fighting against each other in the sweet water and the salt water. That's how they determined the existence of the earth. And from a king who let blood, they came with their concepts of sin. They had no concept of the true and living God. They had no concept of monotheism as the young man Daniel had been taught. He was going to be taught a pluralistic concept of God. Not just a pluralistic society, it was a monolithic society, but it had a pluralistic concept of God. In its math, it had the system of 60s. They had taken it from the Sumerians and they divided into 60s. And we use it even today, 60 seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour, 360 degrees in a circle. They were working tables of algebra with its squares and square roots and cubes and cube roots. It was using all of those various forms in the learning of the Chaldeans. In the astrology, they were concerned about cause and effect. They were concerned about finding which star they would be born under and the effect it would have upon their life. When they talked about medicine, they had insurance liability. In those days, you hear doctors complaining about insurance liability today. In those days, under the code of Hammurabi, if you operated on a man's eye and he wasn't able to see, they just cut off your own fingers. That's pretty high insurance liability. Daniel was coming into this type of a setting. Within its many forms of science, he would study chemistry. He would be able to learn a form of religion, but it was certainly not the religion of monotheism of the God of Israel. Daniel is brought into that setting, and he's to be given an education because there is a beautiful appearance, ability of mind, and he had potential for service to the government. That's what Babylon was interested in potential for service to the government. Well, you know the story, and I won't take the time to go through all of it. But Daniel is brought with his friends, given names that are changed, Belteshazzar. Now he has said, your life will be protected by Bel. Amazing. Instead of God as my judge, Bel is going to be his lifetime protector. And in the midst of that situation, Daniel... Others known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought to the king's table to eat. And there you read in verse 8. But Daniel purposed. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Now we do not read that Daniel refused to study literature. 
Daniel did not refuse to study mathematics. Daniel did not refuse to study chemistry. Daniel did not refuse to even study astrology. He did not even refuse to study comparative religions. But Daniel purposed in his heart, and Daniel refused to eat the meat that had been offered to idols, and in the setting and time of his life, he refuses to eat that meat. Not because Daniel didn't have an appetite. I've watched some of you eat. It's amazing. A teenager has an appetite like a human garbage disposal. Just turn it on and it's gone. Daniel ate. Later in his life in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel eats the food of Babylon. But this food in its identification and at this time in his life, Daniel refused to eat it. Daniel did not refuse the clothing that they gave him. Daniel did not refuse if they put a necklace around his neck. Daniel did not refuse the ointments that were rubbed into his bodies, but he refused to eat the meat from the king's table. And it's being offered to idols and the principle from Leviticus, what in the world happened in Daniel's life? It begins with that word purpose. Daniel was a man of principle, and he had purposed that his life belonged to God wherever he was located. Daniel was removed from his father, but somehow in the background of this young man, the reform of Josiah had brought a reform that again young people had heard the principles of the word of God. Somehow the prophet Jeremiah had been heard and a young man, Daniel, knew that you should love God with all of your heart. That had penetrated into the mind of a young man. And now in the midst of a captive, polytheistic, godless, secular society, Daniel purposes in his heart. I get great encouragement from that. People say, what a terrible day to be alive. And the world has no reference point. The church is not going to make it. And you as the Christian should pray for the return of Christ. I long to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm grateful for the day in which we live because we can be dangerous today. Daniel went into Babylon. Daniel could encounter their world, not isolate, penetrate. Daniel was able to say, in my heart I have purposed, I know who I am. And he became a man of principle. Such a man of principle that later when he comes to the feast of Belshazzar, that man of principle had purity. He had not been at that impure feast. That orgy against the temple vessels. He was not there, and that man of principle spoke the word with truth. That man of principle, even after he's 70 years of age, he still prays, not because it's habit, but because it's the principle of his life that he has honored God, and he has said, God, here is my life. That man of principle also was polite. I love what Daniel did here. Where it says God had brought him into favor. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat of the king's meat. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Requested. Just because we have purpose in our life doesn't mean that we become bulls in a china shop. We learn some courtesy. We learn how to be kind. We learn how to meet the needs of people where they are and sensitive to people who have broken hearts. And do you know something? Do you know this eunuch was concerned and even Nebuchadnezzar was concerned not about forcing some new religion down Daniel's throat? 
They were concerned about one thing, producing civil servants who could give Babylon results. And today we make great crusades thinking of certain evil employments when in America today they're concerned about one thing, can you produce results? And our society is willing to use any means to produce results of making the gross national product go higher. The world today is concerned about producing results to make it prosperous and enjoy life. Daniel was sensitive enough to know that's what they were trying to do, and he simply requested that he be excused. But in that request and the choice that God gave them, notice what he also said. Verse 12, prove thy servants. Prove thy servants. Put us to the test. This man was concerned about their welfare, and he knew that if they didn't come out right in a healthful appearance, he'd lose his own head. Daniel says, put us to the test. What a tremendous challenge again for today. We are saying we have a message to change the world. When Jim Elliott said we claim to have a power that the 20th century can't reckon with, have we proven it by our lives? Prove it. Become so dangerous that you prove it. So Daniel said, for 10 days, let us eat pulse, vegetables grown from seeds, and water to drink. Then examine us, even examine not only our hearts, examine our appearances. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding. God gave them the equipment for that hour. Does God equip us physically? They were beautiful. Does God equip us intellectually? He gave them a mind. Does God equip them emotionally? They had confidence to love God. Did God equip them socially? They even knew how to function in a pagan society. Tremendous outline. But did you notice the difference between principle, precept, and particular? It's there. By principle, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself in relationship to God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and spirit. By principle, he was taught a precept in Leviticus that meat had been offered to idols and dietary laws, and at that point in time, Daniel refused to eat that meat offered on the king's table. Now we come to an interesting one. Vegetables. Principle, precept, are particular. It's important. If you believe that pulse is a principle, then we should be teaching today that if you're going to live in Chicago and be an effective witness down there at Water Tower, you've got to eat a vegetable diet. You see it? Particular. That was the particular in the time of Daniel that he chose not to defile himself with in the culture in which he lived. That was the particular. 
It was there and it was real and he refused it. But it's only a particular. That's what it is. Daniel was a man of principle. He was a man of character. And the God of omniscient wisdom gave him the wisdom by which he could function and live for those days. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that in the midst of the Babylon of this day that we can function as effective, dangerous, living as men of character, functioning in government, functioning in commerce and business, functioning as a citizen? Can we function today? By the grace of God, we can. We can. And I want to encourage you to use your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, your being, your personality for the glory of God. From that lifetime potential, God equips you for a lifetime partner. Many things that I would cover this morning as we continue in that study of the will of God would bring us into that next item which refers to that fulfilling marriage. Daniel knew the fulfillment of life. Within that fulfillment of life, God has also ordained the fulfilling experience of marriage. God is the initiator of marriage, and the first thing, the first principle that we should know is that marriage is designed by God. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It tells us that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, and God made a helpmate that which completed man. God initiated, designed marriage. There is no such thing as a sacred and a secular marriage. This concept that we are teaching that somehow what happens before you're saved is different than after you're saved as if one is a secular marriage and another is a sacred marriage is not found in the Word of God. The Scriptures say God is the author of marriage just as He is the author of society. And mankind, whether it believes or does not believe, will answer to God for what God has ordained and created. God ordained uniquely marriage. He created it. He designed it. He is the initiator of marriage. God ordained it for companionship. When God said it was not good for man to be alone and he created a completement, a helpmate, marriage is companionship. Marriage is that that brings two people together that walk together in life and grow together in their love for God. And their service to him. Marriage was designed for companionship. Marriage was designed to be monogamous. God did not create one man and three women. Polygamy entered in, but it never was acceptable to God. It was in the will of God, but it was always non-acceptable. The marriages were legal, the children were legitimate, but there were always problems because of that. And when God had opportunity to teach monogamous marriage, he did it here in Genesis. He did it when he destroyed man with the flood because Peter tells us there were eight souls saved, Noah and his wife, and we discover that three sons and three daughters-in-law, that you discover again a monogamous relationship. And by that same principle, 
It should not have to be said, but it must be said. God ordained marriage for a heterosexual relationship. He did not say it was beautiful for man to be married to man and woman to be married to woman. God ordained the heterosexual monogamous relationship. It was his design, and there is no way to move that out of the word of God. He designed it also to be permanent. He said the husband should cleave unto his wife. It's the word glue. God designed permanency. Man has found many reasons to break it, but the Lord Jesus even said from the beginning it was not so. God's design for marriage is permanency. God also designed marriage that out of the unity of their love there would come forth children. They too shall be one flesh. Now the purpose of marriage was not simply procreation. The purpose of marriage is not simply the sexual relationship. It is not correct to say that all marriage is is a sex act. That is not correct. If that's the case, then what do you do if an accident occurs? What happens when you become older? Do you no longer have a marriage because you no longer have a sex act? Marriage involves three things. Marriage involved an agreement. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Marriage is an agreement. It is an agreement. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I believe the man is responsible in initiating that women respond, and women have a marvelous way of responding with initiation. But at the same time, God has designed an agreement between two people. And we found that Adam and Eve were brought together in agreement. When she came to him, he said, wow, because there was agreement of design and complementary of design. God designed us to agree. The second thing that marriage is, is that marriage is a public acknowledgement. And it said he shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. It becomes an acknowledgement within a community of a commitment. Marriage is an agreement. Marriage is a public acceptance, acknowledgement, and marriage says they too shall be one flesh. It is the actualization by the physical union, and the physical union in that case is the summation of the agreement and the acknowledgement. From that agreement, from that acknowledgement, from that actualization, God says they too shall be one. Marriage was not designed just to produce a family. Marriage represents oneness. Out of the oneness of a couple's love, God has ordained and blessed the fruit of the womb, and there is procreation. From the procreation, we develop a social unit. From that social unit, God says it's an illustration. That illustration of God to the church through his son Jesus Christ. God to Israel. God uses it as an illustration. Now from that point of principle, it is God's design. Well, if it's God's design, we should understand concepts of love and principles of requirements in selecting a mate. In understanding the concept of love, love is far more than an emotion. Love is an act of the will. 
Love is far more than a tingle. I don't always tingle. Love is far different than infatuation. Infatuation is urgent. Infatuation always overlooks the truth. Infatuation demands physical response because it's insecure in its time and the reality of what the differences really are. But love is 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind, it's gentle, it's patient. Every couple should learn to describe those words and then learn to put their own name there. We teach people to say John 3.16 and put your own name and whosoever. That's wonderful. Put your own name right there when it says love is kind. Say your name. John Smith is kind because it should be. Christ living in us has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts and it should be that kind of a love. Well, within that kind of a love, Recognize that when it's an act of the will, you won't always tingle. And I said that because I really believe we make a mistake. People say, I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. You know, the night I got married, and I'm going to tell you about that, but boy, I tingled. I mean, we were driving down the street and somebody had pulled half the spark plugs off the car and I never even knew it. Had no idea. It was just fabulous. I mean, you just tingle just to see that person, you know, to hear them say something. You're just sparked. Well, within that, a few days go by, a few months go by, a few years go by, and there have been some marvelous times of just that same floating, tingling sensation of love. But then one night, your child's been sick all night long. Finally, your wife nudges you. It's your turn to get up, and you get up, you know, and you stumble around the edge of the bed, and you clunk yourself on the side of that dresser and your foot hurts and you hear him he's trying to make it quickly to the restroom you know you better hurry and you start running down the hall and you grab him just in time and he throws up all over your feet (laughs) middle of the night you can't get your head up your foot hurts and now he's thrown up all over your feet and you try to guide the little guy into the restroom and you're wiping off his face and you're down there trying to clean up Oh boy, and you get him back turned around again, and you get him back in bed, and you come walking back, and you walk right through something you didn't clean up, you know, and oh boy, you you get back there, and you finally get down in bed, and you put your head down, and the alarm goes off. And right at that moment, if you stood next to me and say, David, do you tingle with love? I don't tingle, my head hurts, my foot hurts, my feet smell, my hands smell. Tingle with love. You mean you don't love your wife anymore? Oh no, wait a minute. You're talking about something else now. I don't tingle, but I still love her. I still love that little guy. Oh, I love him because it's an act of the will. I don't just tingle. What is your concept of love? Well, that brings us now to how you're going to have to find that mate. And I can go through it very quickly. If you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24. Tomorrow I'll give you the steps to love. Here I want to give you an illustration of how you can have some principles. Tomorrow I'll give you some application. Abraham was old, well stricken in age. 
And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. The very first principle taught in the marriage selection of Abraham, who is prophet, priest, and king, a man who ruled with even the authority of life over his family, a man that God said, I will bless you and I will make of you a great nation and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of your seed. Abraham said, for my son of the promise, his wife is to have a spiritual foundation. To marry in the Canaanites would be maybe to marry in an advantage in the physical surroundings in which he lived. But the Canaanites were doomed for destruction. And Abraham said, you are to go back to my country and my people. We discover in Genesis chapter 22 that he knew of his brother and his family and he knew the principles that could have been taught concerning their lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 it says, you shall not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That's a principle that has not changed. What fellowship? What yoke can we have a believer and an unbeliever? If you want God's good and acceptable and mature will of God, you will have a spiritual foundation to your partner. You will determine that there is a spiritual foundation. My country, my kindred, there is something that we share together. You're not only going to be one physically, one economically, one socially. God wants marriage to be one spiritually. A spiritual foundation. Then the servant said, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. You do not have to leave the will of God. Abraham was in that land by the will of God. Isaac was his son by the will of God. Even though it seemed delayed and late, he was his son by the will of God. And he says, my son is in this land and I don't have to leave the acceptable will of God to get married. Don't take my son out of this place where he stands in the will of God. You don't have to leave the acceptable will of God to find a partner for your life. Within that he then said, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from my land of my kindred, which spake unto me and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Notice Abraham's concept of God's will was based on the character of God. God that rules heaven and earth. God that is omniscient. God that wills and purposes and God that promises, I can rely on it. His confidence was in the character of God. And he said, God will send his angel before you. Do you know I believe that God gives supernatural assistance in the selecting of a mate. I believe he said that he would give us the Holy Spirit 
a paraclete, another one likened to himself who would guide us into what? Into truth. And truth would be applied even not only doctrinally, it's applied to the relationships of our life. The Holy Spirit is going to aid us in that process of selection of a mate for our life. I might just say, too, that supernatural assistance includes opportunities. Abraham remembered that his brother had a family, and he said, you go back to my brother. And one person said, is it wrong to come to Moody and maybe want to meet a Christian husband or wife? Of course it's not wrong. I think it's smart. You say, well, that's the only reason I'm here. That's not so smart. (laughs) But it's not wrong to say that God may be able in this place of opportunity to assist me. Some are looking for assistance. It goes on. And he said this, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master, and he departed. In verse 11, he made his camels to kneel down when he came to the area of Nahor. And they knelt down by the well of water, and it was evening time. And he said, Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master. I'm here by this well of water, and the daughters of the men are going to come. Let it come to pass. I need some help as to how to determine her. He prayed specifically. Is it wrong to pray specifically for wisdom and guidance? No. Supernatural assistance. God says pray about it. Tell him the needs of your life. Pray about the opportunities that you have. And he said, I'm praying about these girls that come. Now, it's important here to make sure you get principle, precept, and particular separated. But here, the girls come. And primarily what this man did was not say, by principle, you've got to determine how many girls water camels. Because if you're going to wait to find out a girl that waters a camel, you may have to wait for a while to find the right partner for your life. The principle is not watering camels. The principle is service, service requirements. Does she work hard? Does she meet the task with an attitude of response and beauty? What are the service requirements that she has? The next thing that is mentioned after the service requirements is the word that I'll stop with this morning. After those service requirements, he then says this, It came to pass that before he was done speaking that, behold, Rebekah came out and the damsel was beautiful to look at, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. She went down to the well, she filled her pitcher, and she came up. I believe God wants you to marry somebody that's beautiful. You say, that's a particular. (laughs) No, no, it's a principle. (laughs) It's a principle. You say, no, it's a particular. No, it's a principle. You say, well, beauty's only skin deep. I can't see any further than that. That's as far as I can see. But you see, the beauty that's here is a sense of beauty. It's a beauty of character, but it's also a beauty of appearance. Do you know that the Bible says the feet of those who bring good tidings are beautiful? Feet are beautiful. Do you ever see anything uglier than feet? But it's not beautiful when those feet bring good tidings. Now, what's important is that to you, that person should be the most beautiful person.
person in all the world that you don't have to ignore their nose or their eyes or their hair. They're the beautiful person even physically to you because of what they represent in their requirements before God and their service to him. That's as far as I can get this morning. But by God's will tomorrow, take somebody beautiful and we'll keep going through the life of Abraham. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. Encourage us today to claim all that you have for us. That's life with meaning and purpose and abundant in Jesus Christ. For we pray in his precious name, amen. Good morning in Maranatha. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message David Burnham presented on the will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week in 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.